So good, oi, there we go. Uh, so good to, to see you all uh, this morning. Um, can, I, can I pray before we get going? Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. And uh, Father, as we continue looking at um, the story of the Bible, we pray that you would speak to us, that you'd bless us, uh, and Lord, that you would encourage us wherever we find ourselves uh, in life. So God be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well done to Ralph and Peter for uh, nailing some of those names. Um, never easy. I always say confidence. Doesn't matter what it sounds like. Just say it and um, make sure it's consistent the way through. Well, so well done. Uh, what are those standards of service for King Nebuchadnezzar? Did you hear those? You have to be handsome, good looking, straight A student, um, and uh, all those other sorts of things. I, I would not be serving in the king's court um, I've got to say, I'd, I'd nail the handsome, um, but the rest of it I, I kind of struggle with. Um, today we're, we're continuing our story of the Bible, looking at the big meta-narrative of uh, the whole Bible. Um, and of course, it's God's story, the, the story of God in history. Um, and as God's people, it is our story. We continue on that story in our own lives. Um, and we're called to live out uh, that story wherever we are, um, advancing God's kingdom here on earth uh, to the glory of God. And so this morning, uh, we're looking at the exile. Um, and exile, in its, its sort of generic term, means to be taken from your home or place of comfort uh, to a foreign land or place of alienation and discomfort. And maybe after the election last night, you are feeling like an exile. Uh, you've gone from a place of comfort and uh, stability to a place of discomfort um, and uh, instability, I don't, I don't know. Um, and, and I thought what Haley had to say um, earlier was just so poignant, um, that wherever we find ourselves, whatever future New Zealand has, uh, it is ultimately in the hands of the Lord. It is on the shoulders of Jesus. Uh, and that is, is such a great encouragement to us. Um, so, so what happens in the story? Um, if you remember, sort of back over the history of what we've been looking at, you know, God creates everything, we stuff it up. There's a whole bunch of tales where he chooses Abraham and his people. The people find themselves in Egypt. Moses is called to deliver the people. They go through the wilderness into the land where they conquer the land. Um, and there's a time where judges instead of kings rule over the people. And then uh, the monarchy set up with Saul, David, and Solomon, and they do okay-ish, and uh, then they stuff it up in a really big way. Uh, and the last time, it was two weeks ago, we looked at uh, our narrative of the Bible, and we looked at how the, the kingdoms were divided and how God constantly sent prophets to the people. Uh, and prophets weren't there to, call, to tell the future. Um, they were there to call them back to covenant faithfulness, to remember the promises that God had made and the faithfulness of God. Um, the long and short of it is that they didn't listen very well um, on the whole. Uh, and in uh, 732 BC, the northern kingdom uh, of Israel was conquered by the Assyrian Empire. Um, and the Assyrians had a policy um, for when they conquered a nation that they would disperse them all across their kingdom. Um, so they'd take them to different nations that they had conquered. And they figured that if we can split them up, um, and keep them apart, then they won't cause any trouble for us because no one will be able to understand anyone. There'll be no unity, uh, and, and that's what we'll do. Um, and uh, they're never heard from again, basically. The northern kingdom pff, is in, into history. The southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin do a little bit better. 
Um, so they last another 150 years or so uh, until uh, about 597 uh, when the king of Babylon uh, rolls on through um, and conquers them. And, and they, they kind of compromise at the start. They set themselves up. They kind of make a deal, go, hey, look, we'll just pay you a heck of a lot of tax um, and, and we'll serve you. Just don't destroy us please. And they're like, okay, that's great. Ten years down the track, they're getting pretty fed up with paying taxes, um, and so they decide to revolt. Um, and uh, the Babylonian army comes down with its full might, uh, absolutely crushes Jerusalem and uh, the people of Israel, destroy the temple, destroy the palace, and just uh, raise uh, Jerusalem to the ground. Um, and that happened in about 587, 586 B.C., uh, and so Babylon had a different policy for how they dealt with uh, the, those people that they conquered. And that was that they'd keep them together, but they'd take them back to their homeland. Um, and they figured, well, if we can just take them from there, at least we can keep them happy together. Uh, but um, we've displaced them so much that uh, they won't be able to really survive at all. Um, and, and that's what the exile is. So they're taken into um, exile into Babylon. Um, and that's where we find that, that wonderful psalm, um, Psalm 137, um, which really speaks is to the heart of the problem of the people of God at this point in their history. Um, and uh, they're wrestling with all sorts of questions about what has happened to them. What does it mean for God to have let this happen to us? What does it mean that God's house, the place where God dwells on earth, to be absolutely flattened and destroyed? Uh, and, and all these questions are going around. And of course, um, Boney M made this psalm famous um, in, well, whenever, I don't know, Boney M, 70s, 60s, 50s, I don't know, 70s, before I was born. That's all I'm going to say. So by the waters or by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for, our cap for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Well, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, let, let it bear Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall, be, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Um, and we'll leave off verse 9, it's a bit grim. Um, but uh, so, so they're wrestling, they're, they're thoroughly wrestling with this idea, how do we sing a new song to God? How do we deal with what has happened to us and reconcile it to what we know of God, what God's law has said to us about himself? Um, how, how do we make sense of that? Um, and I was trying to think of a modern day example to use for this. You know, um, when, when was there a time that we might have experienced uh, something significant happening in our lives, where we've been forced to rethink how we worship God, forced to rethink how we uh, be the people of God together. Uh, COVID. I, it was, and it took me ages, I was like, right at the last thing, I was like, wait a minute, I know the perfect example of this. You know, we've had to rethink this year what it means to be the people of God. We've had to reprioritize what is important to us and what really matters as a church. 
And we've had to rethink about how we communicate the gospel, how we encourage one another, how we bless one another, how we support one another, and how we stand out in the midst of the community as God's people. How we share this message of hope of Jesus in this new time that we find ourselves in. How do we exist as God's people? And I think... uh, no, I don't think that at the moment. We'll think that a little bit later. Um, perhaps, though, the most, like, some of the questions, I think, that are really important that come out to us in this are, are what are some of the, the things that we've held on to, the, the, perhaps the rituals, practices, and beliefs that we thought were once so central to us we could never let them go, but due to a situation being forced upon us, we've had to rethink and actually weigh them up as to what is of true value and what is able to be let go? Um, What do we look at in a new light? What has been in exile in the year 2020 uh, made us value more? How does it shape us being God's people moving forward? And these questions that we can ask ourselves here and now are the same questions that God's people were asking themselves Uh, two and a half thousand years ago as they found themselves in exile. And so really, uh, in the time of exile, there were three ways that people dealt with with exile. Firstly was assimilation, right? You find yourself in a new place, a new culture, and you think, it's just easier if I join them, right? I'm going to join their team. The second way would be aggression. I'm going to fight them, right? These people, they've conquered me. I'm bitter. I'm angry. They deserve everything that's coming their way. Pull out your sword, right? Do it in a group of people, probably be a bit more effective. Or isolation, uh, right? You can just wall yourself off, isolate yourself from the culture that's around you. I'm going to have absolutely nothing to do with it. You're not going to affect who I am. I'm going to be stoic, and I'm just going to be and continue on who I've always been. And we see these three examples in Jesus' time as well. As the story of God's people continues, we see, I talked about the tax collectors last week. Tax collectors assimilated. They joined the Romans. They colluded with them, and they made money from them. They assimilated to the culture. You had the zealots, They were aggressors. They um, fought the Roman occupiers that assassinate them at any opportunity that they got. Uh, And then there's a third group of people called the Essenes, or Essenes, depending on um, how you want to pronounce the E. Um, And they were a sect of Jewish people who lived way out in the wilderness by the Dead Sea. Uh, And have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Uh, They they were theirs. So they kind of camped out in these caves, totally separate. they didn't believe in marriage, so they didn't last very long. Um, they kind of died out, and they'd go back to Jerusalem to recruit people, but it didn't sound appealing to anyone, so they're like, no, thank you. Um, we're fine where we are. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, that's the Essenes, a sect of people who separated themselves out. And of course, this exists today as well, doesn't it? You know, we see um, Christians, if you go back to 13-year-old Chris, um, I was an assimilator. When I was um, at, at high school, um, I, I was happy to call myself a Christian in a broad sense of the term, um, but I just looked like everyone else. You know, I, I was said I was a Christian, um, but I'm not a hardcore Christian. I'm one of the cool ones. You know, I, I do everything the same, except I say I believe in God. Right? So I kind of just assimilated into the people around me. Then you got the um, uh, the aggressors. 
the fundamentalists, I like to, to sort of call them, and they, they aggressively challenge the government on everything. They believe we should have a Christian government where we kind of live by the law of the Bible and all sorts of uh, things like that. They think whatever country they live in should be a Christian country. And then you've got like Gloria Vale down in Christchurch, I think, aren't they? Um, they separate themselves out and go, look, we've just got to be completely separate. And so even today, we've got these three ways of dealing with a sense of exile, a sense that we're living in a world that isn't God's, isn't holy God's, isn't God's kingdom fully uh, in the world. Um, and so people deal with it in, in absolutely different ways. But the lessons, if we go back to the people of God under the Babylonian exile, they had to learn some really important lessons about God. And they had to rethink about the reality of God. And these realities and these lessons had been there all the way through their history had been there all the way from Genesis, but hadn't really been in their consciousness. Uh, and so they had to relearn these things. And, um, and these things were, I'm just going to name a couple of them. Just because their temple had been destroyed didn't mean God was dead and defeated. Okay? Um, God was bigger than their building. Judgment and experiencing the consequences of their sin didn't mean abandonment. Judgment doesn't mean abandonment. And God still wants covenant faithfulness. So God still sent prophets to the people in exile. And the core of the prophets was the same covenant faithfulness. But it wasn't covenant faithfulness to avoid judgment and exile. It was covenant faithfulness looking forward. Looking forward to a promise of restoration. Looking forward to a promise of hope and reconciliation. And God re-establishing and reforming his people and reconstituting them in a new way to be effective in a new way in the world. And this time, uh, so next thing, God is still uh, sovereignly faithful to his covenant promises which he made to Abraham, Moses, and David. And these are the truths uh, that should shape the narrative of their lives. And a question coming out of this is what, what shapes the narrative of our life? You know, people like to frame the story, don't they? And again, over the last, you know, six months, we've seen different political parties frame the story. I was listening to a, um, a, a TED talk by a, a guy by... Um, from New York University, and he was just talking about capitalism and basically how these, the two different sides try to frame capitalism. Um, one is this beautiful uh, thing, that, a beautiful system that lifted people out of poverty and um, provided a better standard of living for everyone, whereas other people, it was just the industrialists who came and they crushed everyone with poor living standards and all sorts of things like this. And he was sort of saying, actually, Neither of those is true, but it's how you frame the story. And how you frame the story frames how you engage with the world. And if we let the world frame our story, if we let the world frame um, who God is or what God should be like or what God's people should be like, we're going to behave in a certain way. But if we let these truths that I've just mentioned, God's bigger than a temple. He um, is still faithful to us. He doesn't abandon us. He still wants us to be faithful to him. He's still faithful to his promises. If we let these shape us, and these are truths that have been persistent through the story right from the beginning, if we let them shape us, we'll be able to experience God in new ways and be effective to his promises that he's made to us 
and be effective in our mission that he's called us to in the world. And we see this in Daniel. Um, He's got all of these truths that he's holding with him. His experience is that God is still alive. He wants to, God wants him to experience that he's not abandoned. He needs to experience of, his experiences of God still demanding faithfulness to him. God has sovereignly brought Babylon as an instrument of judgment, meaning that God has placed them there for a purpose. God has given them skills, gifts, and wisdom to, to use for God's glory, which are amplified when this is coupled with faithfully responding to the grace of God. And what we see as we look at Daniel is we see that he... We, we, sorry, if we look at Daniel, if we look at the story of Daniel, it allows us, it shows us the example of finding a balanced way of life, um, of, of holding on to the truths of who God is, yet engaging with and being a part of society in order to be effective in transforming it. So as we do look at Daniel, he's, got, he's given the opportunities to be faithful in obeying God's laws. So in that first chapter of Daniel, we see um, him saying, look, I'm not going to eat the food and drink the wine that's been defiled by, uh, by the pagans, by the Gentiles. And God responds by giving him wisdom. But in turn, this wisdom enables him to serve the empire. And that's an interesting tension, isn't it? He's faithful to God on the one hand, but his faithfulness leads to God's blessing, and God's blessing leads to him serving the empire that conquered his people. Right? He is working for the king of, of, of Babylon, no doubt, again, conquering other nations, subduing other peoples, and doing work that perhaps uh, we might not view as ethically right. But God is still using Daniel in the midst of this for his purposes. But this doesn't mean full assimilation. As we read in chapter 3, there comes a point where even the king who Daniel serves asks him to go beyond what he is willing to do because of his allegiance to God. And obviously, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he made that statue of himself and asked people to bow down and worship that, um, which was an act of worship of recognizing Nebuchadnezzar as something more than human as something more than a mere creature. Uh, And we know that this is something that is clearly stated in the law of God in the Old Testament that was uh, absolutely not to be done. You shall worship the Lord your God only in him alone shall you worship. You shall not worship any idols. Um, Ten Commandments. Uh, And so that's where Daniel draws the line. And he says, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. Um, if I perish, I perish. Uh, God is faithful to me, and I, I will not be unfaithful to him. And so this discernment is, uh, is, what, um, is what the New Testament calls us to do as well. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And we see that being worked out in uh, the book of Acts as well. What do we hold on to? And what do we... Uh, what can we let go of? And as the church advanced and as the church grew after Jesus' uh, resurrection, there was a, a, a real tension between people who were culturally Jewish and Gentiles. 
Did the Gentile Christians need to take on all the cultural values of God's people, of the Jewish people? What did they do with regards to food sacrifice to idol when Jesus said that all food was clean? And a significant amount of writing has to do with the fact that Jesus is Lord above all and not Caesar. Right? And so there's all these tensions coming through about what we can and can't do and how do, we, how do we work that out? And what enables the people to do that is the narrative that the whole world is God's. It's the continuing on of the story, that God is sovereign. The fact that we are, the church is, a people of exile. We were, the scholars agree, that the, the, the people of God have always been exiles. We lived in the garden, yet due to sin we were exiled from paradise and abundance and that relationship with God and thrust out into the world. But God called us back and gave us a land to call our own Israel gave God's people, and they've gone into exile again, and we're reconciled with God once more, but then God sends us on a mission to be his ambassadors, go into all the nations of the earth. And so we're once again exiles, and we're once again figuring out how we live this tension. How do we live as people in the world, but not of the world? How do we work in our jobs, knowing that God is sovereign and God is Lord, yet the job itself, our workplace, might be seeking to advance something completely devoid of God. How do we do this? The first thing to do is to live faithfully by participating. The second thing is, is uh, one person I was reading said, blossom where you're planted. It's to know that God is sovereign, to know that he's called you to a place for a purpose, and that even though you might feel like an exile, like you're being stretched and uh, pulled in all sorts of directions, there's a high chance that God's called you there to bring redemption and light. But as we live in exile, we must also be ready, to be ready when God calls you into a kingdom moment. Jeremiah encouraged the people to become a part of the city uh, that they've found themselves in Babylon. But to do that, not to stay there and lay down roots forever, but in order to look forward to when God would call them out, for when they would be ready for the new purposes that God had for them. Be ready for when God calls you into a kingdom moment, an opportunity to move from exile to the kingdom. And perhaps he'll move us back into that time of tension and exile again, but we also then need to be ready to move for that kingdom moment when it presents itself to us. And the sec last thing is be ready to assess your exile. Be ready to assess your exile. As I mentioned at the beginning, exile presents us with an opportunity to assess what we truly need to hold on to in order to be faithful to God and what is peripheral and we can let go of. How do we be in the world as effective participants for the glory of God, yet not assimilate into the world so that we lose our distinctive salt and light in the world? To do that often we need to pause, to step back, and to take our feet off the pedals. 
and then put them back on again. And really assess where God is calling us to. And so, as we live out our exile as God's people, as God's community, would we have ears and eyes opened and attuned to where God is calling us, to value what God calls us to value, to be faithful to His promises, to be open to the invitations of grace, and be ready to step into those kingdom moments when they present ourselves so that we can be salt and light in the world. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us. And that you've called us into the world in which we find ourselves as your people. God, not to separate, not to be aggressive, nor to assimilate, but to bless with your light as it shines through us. To speak peace. To be a community of hope. And to be a people who stand on your love. As we know that when we were exiles from you, when we were hopeless and purposeless, you brought us from our exile through the cross home to you. And so as we are ambassadors in this world, God, would we hold on to that truth? Would we never compromise that truth? But will we love as you call us to? In your name we pray. Amen.